Hello, hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Well, I have my tea, my ginger tea. I have your attention. I am ready. Are you ready? Now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take a minute. And I will say again, I will ask you, are you ready? And when I ask this question, you give me thumbs up and say yes. Okay? So, are you ready? I hope you did now. You said yes. And during the day, I suggest that anytime you have a positive experience, anything, even during this show, or as you go through your day, something positive happens, you clench your right fist or left fist and put up your thumb and say yes. We're creating what is called neuroassociative conditioning. Conditioning between thumbs up, saying mentally or out loud the word yes in a positive experience. That becomes part of your subconscious. So then in the future, anytime you feel tired, you feel you need to be uplifted, you clench your fist, you say yes, and it will move you instantly in a different space. That's how conditioning is created, by the way. Uh, you know, if you walk into uh, an apartment, or let's say you move to a new place, and you didn't know where the switch was, you walked into your living room, let's say, and it's dark, and you looked for a switch, and then you put the switch up. Next time, next time, couple of times you had to do it. After a while, walking into a dark room became associated with you reaching out to the right or to the left, wherever the switch was. So you created a conditioning between the dark room and the switch. And so suddenly you do it automatically. You may be thinking about something else, but you do it totally, totally unconsciously. The same conditioning you can create with taking certain action, making a sound, clenching a fist, saying yes, putting the thumb up, and anything positive. If you do this yes uh, with 20, 30 positive experiences, this is it. You created conditioning. And then, then you can just use uh, that what is called mnemonic device. Say yes and thumbs up and you will see. Experiment. Try it out. Okay. That, I, I don't know why, but I felt like starting with that. Today, during the second half of the show, um, I will be taking your calls, ladies and gentlemen, with your comments and or questions. And uh, during the first half, I intend to talk, intended to talk about pride. And I still intend to talk about pride today. But I received an email a couple of days ago from a person who asked me to talk about insomnia. And I understand that this is a problem she's dealing with right now. So and that's for me is an emergency. Uh, I want to address it before I talk about any other subject, because it's absolutely essential that a person has uh, healthy and restful sleep. A person cannot function normally without sleep. I do not know whether uh, the one who sent this email 
whether you cannot fall asleep, you didn't write about it, you, whether you cannot fall asleep for a long time when you go to bed or you wake up in the middle of the night and just cannot go back to sleep. So I will, <clears throat> I will see if I can address both. Uh, first of all, if you don't sleep, usually people don't sleep about something. Most of the time it's something uh, that is bothering you, there is anxiety, and again, either you you just, the mind just doesn't stop and you cannot fall asleep, or some people just get so tired, go to sleep late, uh, and from exhaustion they fall asleep, but then two, three hours later they wake up and, and then uh, it's like, like as if it's daytime, they just cannot cannot uh, fall asleep because again, the, the thoughts don't stop. So here are a couple of things. If let's let's first talk about a situation where you cannot fall asleep. Uh, that means that your sympathetic nervous system, the it, it part that the part of the system that makes you excited, that is also responsible for what is called flight or fight response. Remember, you either put up a fight or you run away, and we. Uh, through millennia, we developed this response, and it saved us, it allowed us to survive as, as a species. But now, there is no place to run. If you're worried about something, you can go over and over for hundreds or thousands of times over the same thoughts. Uh, and your mind is firing, and you're in this sympathetic mode. Of course, you cannot fall asleep on, in a sympathetic mode. So what you want to do is to balance your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So if you cannot, again, fall asleep, um, you start, I would suggest you start with listening to a 20 minute uh, Qigong exercises. Um, if you want, you can send me an email and I will send you the link. Or I can tell you right now, it's a wonderful one if you go on uh, YouTube, uh, and you go Lee Holden, Lee, H-O-L-D-E-N, and it's evening Kong, evening Q-I, and then separate G-O-N-G, 20-minute exercise. And it's a really wonderful, wonderful series of exercises that relax your nervous system and, and uh, calm you down. So you do this uh, you start it be 20, 25 minutes before you go to, to bed. Uh, and before you do this exercise, also, if you want to take uh, melatonin, some five to six milligram of melatonin, uh, and also magnesium glycinate, G-L-Y-C-I-N-A-T-E, it's three to 400 milligrams. Uh, also, <laughs> warm milk and cookies. It reminds me of my teacher of blessed memory, Colette. Uh, years ago, we were uh, a group of students were, were with Colette, and somebody said, oh, I have difficulties falling asleep. And Colette said, oh, have some milk and cookies. And, the, you know, people are concerned, well, mostly Americans, and they were concerned about sweets and so health conscious. And one woman said, milk and cookies, is it good for you? And Colette said, it is not good. 
it is essential. It, it is, in fact, actually, it it help, can relax you. Milk contains tryptophan and cookies, you know, have its sweets, just they relax you a little. Though if you have too much sweets, if you have chocolate, it you will become agile, it will actually wake you up. So just some, uh, if, if you don't have to, um, um, if, if I want to relax and go to sleep peacefully, I don't take milk and cookies, but I will take melatonin if I'm too hyped. So that's what you do. Uh, also, so uh, first the exercises of uh, Lee Holden, then you take this, before you take magnesium and melatonin, and if you want milk and cookies, uh, then do the exercise. And then just before you go to bed, you sit uh, at the edge of your bed, you sit straight with your back straight, you close your eyes, you can even put a timer for six to eight minutes, and you breathe. You breathe gently, you inhale through your nose, exhale through your mouth. And when you inhale, you count mentally from one to five, and imagine the numbers. It's important to imagine, I will tell you later why. And when you exhale, you count from one to nine or 10, if you can, your exhalation needs to be much slower, twice as slow as inhalation. And also you imagine the numbers. The reason you imagine the numbers is that you want to occupy your mind. You don't want to think about things that may excite you that excited you in the past. And that's why you couldn't fall asleep. So when you you are counting, it's a mental process, plus you imagining, plus you're breathing out slowly, that all relaxes you and occupies your mind enough. And because you're focusing your mind a lot on the numbers and on counting, uh, part of your brain becomes uh, tired. Uh, and the, the principle basically is uh, there is a like, a, uh, you know, when you drop a, a pebble in the water, there are rings going, expanding all around the rest. So the same thing happens with the brain. If you inhibit one part of the brain, the inhibition goes through the whole cerebral cortex. You need to inhibit one part of the brain. And that's why when you focus and, and you imagine you do the breathing, all gets you kind of tired. And so then you uh, hopefully can go to sleep. But if you lie down and still after all this breathing and, and, and Qigong and, and milk and cookies, if you're still not falling asleep, then you just continue lying in bed. And you inhale. And you say to yourself in mentally, I breathe in. And when you exhale, you say to yourself mentally, and go to sleep. Again, breathe in, and you say to yourself, I breathe in. And go to sleep. Notice again, I breathe in three words, and go to sleep Four. no, I would actually make it a little more and slowly go to sleep. Let's make it five, you can make it even six words again, we're always breathing out slower than breathing in. So that's, that's what you do if you have difficulties falling asleep. 
if you go to sleep and you wake up in the middle of the night, so what happens, uh, a person wakes up and begins to first uh, people look at the clock, become anxious, oh God, I'm not going to sleep, What I have to get up early in the morning and so on, they become anxious. But no, if you wake up, you know, you have something to do. So you gently, if you're sleeping next to somebody, you don't need to disturb them, uh, you become aware that this is the time you woke up, this is the time to do this exercise that I'm about to give you. Uh, you know you have something rather than worrying about not sleeping. You will start doing this exercise. Again, you want to give full attention to the exercise. Uh, so just think for a moment, or you can do it with me. You close with your right thumb, you close your right nostril, and gently breathe in. And you can mentally say to yourself, I am breathing in. Remember, you want to occupy your mind as much as possible so it wouldn't go on running, thinking about things. So you closed your right nostril and you inhaled through your left nostril and said to yourself, I breathe in. And then with your ring finger, you close your left nostril and you breathe out through your right nostril and say to yourself mentally and gently breathe out. And then through the same right nostril, you inhale and say, I breathe in. Then you close your right nostril and exhale through your left nostril and say, and slowly breathe out. Then again, close your left nostril. Oh, excuse me. Then breathe in through your left nostril. Close it and then slowly breathe out through your right nostril, saying, I end, breathe out, and then breathe in, and so on. So you go from uh, breathing uh, in and out through one nostril, in and out through another nostril, and you do it till you get tired, and hopefully you fall asleep. Uh, I hope um, that will help you. We'll see. You can, of course, by the way, if you want to call in right now, you're welcome to call. Um, uh, if you have questions regarding um, insomnia, or if you want to give suggestions, if you have ideas, if you want to contribute, uh, you're welcome to call. My number, our number is here is 888-874-4888. And if you want to, to email me, my email is drpeterresnik at gmail.com. D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K -E -E at gmail.com. Okay, now um, let me do a little show and tell before we go to um, pride, talking about pride. I was driving home from the gym uh, yesterday and I, that's when I listened to, to the radio, I was listening to w, WBAI, and they were talking about strides that women did in this country. And they said that till 1920, women did not have voting rights. And there was a whole talk about uh, John Adams and his wife, Abigail, who uh, spoke to her husband and John Adams, you know, the president, uh, I think the third president of 
the United States, if I'm correct. Um, and and she was advocating for you know women having more rights. And and John Adams actually laughed and said, you know, before you know it, you will talk about women having right to vote, uh, which is kind of um, a little bit. Um, strange compared to other countries, because America seems to be a very advanced country. And yet, Iroquois Indians, and that's I know, uh, there is a wonderful book, um, um, In the Absence of the Sacred, uh, where um, Gary Mender talks about um, Iroquois nation, which um, lived here in Northeast, uh, when settlers came to the to the shores of America, of this part of America, uh, they met Iroquois Indians and learned a lot from them. And in fact, Iroquois Indians, the, the chief of the tribe was still, and it was a confederation of six nations, and the chief of the tribe was a man. But women, the council of women was choosing the chief and women played, <clears throat> excuse me, a very important role in the society, but not even uh, Iroquois Indians uh, that we know of 13th, 14th, 15th century, even Vikings, Vikings, you know, were people, um, people who are called now Vikings are actually people who originally came from Scandinavia, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, who from the late 8th to 11th century, raided, pirated, traded, and settled throughout parts of Europe. And even though, like many traditional uh, civilizations, Viking, Vikings uh, were primarily male-dominated society, women enjoyed a lot of freedom. It's very interesting. Uh, they could own property, uh, request a divorce, and reclaim their dowries uh, in, um, if their marriage ended. Women tended to marry between the age of 12 and 15, and families negotiated the arrangement of the marriage, and if the woman, and they had something like a prenuptial agreement. If the family, if the woman didn't want it out of marriage, she needed to bring three witnesses into the house and announce that she does not want to be in this marriage. And then there was already a, what would be called prenuptial agreement, um, where it was described if they get divorced, what she gets back. So a woman enjoyed much more freedom and respect uh, in eighth, ninth century. Uh, in the Viking society than an American woman in in 18th, 17th century, even 19th century. It's only in 1920 that a woman could vote. A woman literally had no no rights, no um, could not own property. And if I remember correctly uh, from this from this talk that I heard on WBI, that a woman. If a woman gave, like by the expression, a woman gives a man a son or a daughter, she literally was giving 
a man the son or daughter, literally, because then she didn't own, uh, she, she was no longer uh, in charge of the, uh, of, la of the life of her child, because if somehow the marriage fell apart, the children belonged to her husband. So just wanted to share with you this. Um, let's now move to our talk about pride. Um, pride uh, is very, very, in many ways, similar to arrogance. And we already spoke about arrogance. Remember, we are now still covering this. <laughs> it's a long, long process. Uh, we started the journey in 2000, beginning of 2021, six pillars of well-being, and we are now still in fifth pillar. Um, our conscious uh, beliefs and attitudes and character traits. So we spoke about arrogance. And um, because their arrogance and pride are different, but related, I will remind you a little bit uh, about arrogance. Um, we defined it as an assumption that one's self worth is far superior to others. If you are arrogant, you live in a bubble, you're making a cognitive error of living in a misconception, uh, which was probably not contested by anyone when you were in your forming age. And it really got entrenched in your mind as a permanent self image or self perception. How does it how does arrogance affect you and others? First, arrogance alienates you from other people. Uh, emotional, it prevents you uh, from working on issues and your own qualities because you assume you know you are better than others. You're complete. There is nothing to work on. Next is it clouds your objectivity in the assessment of your accomplishments and accomplishments of others. So again, it separates you from others, because people don't know what you're talking about when you talk about them, and about yourself often. Next, it takes a lot of your life energy and attention to keep up that false image that you created of yourself. Next, it does not allow you to ever reach your full potential, because you're great. <laughs> Nobody can doubt that. And finally, it blinds you from ever getting to know the real you. That's, that's the tragedy. You never, and when you never know who you really are, you never can uh, change anything to better. Now let's, let's move to pride. And you will see what's the difference. But there were many similarities. I remember I saw a movie maybe 10 years ago, a movie came with Brad Pitt seven years in Tibet. And there is a scene there, it's not a scene, it's a whole motive, a whole storyline, where um, Brad Pitt uh, is from Germany, and he's, uh, he was some kind of athlete and very famous. Uh, but now he's in Tibet, he's with his friend. And uh, I remembered so clearly this scene where they um, 
the character of Brad Pitt creates these uh, skates for himself, for his friend, and for this beautiful Tibetan woman. And so he puts on the skates and goes on ice and makes all these beautiful movements and figures. But we, from our perspective, we see that while he is doing all these incredible things, the, the other man holds gently the, the young, beautiful woman so she would not fall and helps her to make her first steps on, uh, on the ice. And we understand now how appreciative she is and we understand where, where her liking will go. So, and, and so he, Brad Pitt is doing all these periods, all these uh, stances, and then boom, he stops and he expects them to clap. <laughs> and they don't even look at him because they're both, you know, his friend and this woman uh, are trying, trying to, to skate. And so he still, Brad Pitt, the character of Brad Pitt, wants attention. So after they skate a little bit, he takes with pride, he takes out a piece of paper. And it's a, um, a little clip from a newspaper where he is awarded by, uh, at some competition, what he's number one. And he opens it proudly and shows it to this young woman. And, and she says, and she, she speaks his language, and she says, and in our tradition, we work on taming our ego. That's it. This is the whole story. But it's made such an impression on me, how Western society, really, we were competing, we want to show how powerful we are, how strong we are. But uh, just like in Buddhism, it's, it's considered uh, something that you become a slave of, this pride, this uh, showing the need to show. Remember, we also spoke uh, about another problem called the need for approval, the need for attention, the, um, because it, it's what is called external locus of control. You identify yourself only through the lens of how people see you. So, a pride refers to an inflated sense of one's personal importance, status, and accomplishments, and that's what the character of Brad Pitt was doing. But while arrogance is most of the time expressed outwardly, it's a show um, that is arrogant person acts arrogantly, and. Uh, at, at, at times also lies to himself and also feels that it's deserved. But very often they deep inside they know uh, that it's all a show. In fact, there is actually in psychology such, um, a di not diagnosis, but a term that is used called imposter phenomenon. But very often arrogant people experience this imposter phenomenon, which means they put up a show, but deep inside they know I am fake. And they with anxiety, if only they knew who I was really was. And so there is a big, big uh, dichotomy, a big difference between what 
a person portrays to the world and how the tide may not uh, not be expressed by a person. It may simply leave the and provide and or inspiration since exist to the person's thoughts and actions. Pride is also thought to be a source of other problems or what they call capital sins. It's identified as dangerously corrupt selfishness, uh, the putting of one's own desires, urges, wants, and whims before the welfare of other people. Uh, in even more destructive cases, um, it's irrationally believed that a person is superior, a person feels that nobody is like them. And in, in the Western society, remember, it's encouraged. In the Western psychology, it's in, in courage, particularly the last 30, 40 years. Um, and I heard a number of psychologists, preachers, actually, I heard one time saying, you have to tell your son, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. At least 50 times a day, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Uh, so it basically is fostering, uh, encouraging narcissism. So a person feels proud, uh, superior, uh, and uh, better than anybody else. Uh, and that's again goes pretty much against what Krishna Murdi. I don't know if you know about this person. Krishna Murdi lived in 20th century. He died somewhere in early 80s. Uh, 1980s. Krishnamurti was a, 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 an Indian philosopher who I believe lived in New York late, later, his later age uh, years. And he believed that it's a mistake to constantly inc encourage uh, this pride in, in your child because he felt if you constantly give this feedback, how proud you are, how good this child is, and how well they're doing, they become again, outwardly oriented, that is, they're expecting, they're waiting for your approval, and they become dependent on their approval, on your approval. And uh, in fact, I, I know, uh, Krishna already had this example, imagine, uh, you say, I'm proud of your to your child, and he feels so good being praised by, by an authority. And then he goes to a lake uh, with friends, he's eight, nine years old, and he still doesn't know how to swim very well. And there is a 10, 12 year old child who is an authority, everybody looks up to him. And this child is saying, hey, jump everyone, jump. And he turns to your child, says, jump. And he doesn't want to disappoint the authority. He wants to, that authority to be proud of him, and he will jump into the lake. We want Krishna Murdiv saying, raise children to be uh, to have the internal, what he called internal locus of control, 
to assess for themselves what is right, what is wrong, rather than look for external uh, appreciation. So in psychological terms, I would say that pride is closest to what is called narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, People, um, there, there is actually a beautiful painting, I forgot who, who the painter was, where uh, pride is portrayed, where a person is looking in the mirror and sees himself, and this is it. That's the whole world. Their world is limited to only to one thing, and that is seeing themselves in the mirror and seeing themselves being uh, beautiful, of course, being attracted. That's the word narcissus. That's the fable or legend of narcissus who as you know why they call um, narcissism is because uh, the narcissus is a flower that grows close to water and the greek uh, legend is there was this beautiful man who narcissus who once looking he looked into the water and saw his own reflection and fell in love with it and couldn't stop staring at himself till he withered as a human and became became a flower. So uh, what comes to my mind now also is an incident that I had uh, with my son when he was, I believe, 12, Aaron, when he was 12 years old. And when he asked me actually to be proud of him, uh, and he, I was driving him everywhere. He was playing tennis. In fact, he became quite a good tennis player. Uh, and he was playing against another kid who was very, very good. But Aaron was better. And the match was very close. And finally, the last hit. And the kid um, hits the ball somehow not the right way. And whatever, the ball flies away and he loses. And the kid throws down the racket and begins to cry. And so it's announced, you know, Aaron won and Aaron jumps with joy. So, and then we're driving home. And, you know, I I think I mentioned to you, I never never screamed at my children. I never raised my voice, I believe. uh, but what they know when they know that I'm a little upset is I quiet down. I, I don't speak. So we're driving and I'm quiet. And Aaron says, what, 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 that, what happened? I say, nothing happened. <laughs> he said, no, 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 something is happening. Why are you quiet? I said, no, I didn't want to ruin it for him. I said, no, just I'm quiet. He said, but are you, are you proud of me? Are you proud? You know, I just want this big game. And since he brought it up, I said, Aronchik, I, I, am, I am happy that you are happy. I'm happy to see you being happy, but I'm proud of you. If you wouldn't jump from joy when you saw the boy crying, if you would go and hug him. And I think it was a good lesson. Uh, Aaron grew up to be compassionate and really sweet, sweet young man. He's now 24. Some of you probably heard my interview with Aaron because he, you know, he has this school now with 
33-0 trainers and he teaches it's like an academy academy of tennis an academy of pickleball by the way i continue my studies of pickleball and it's great i love it uh, if anybody uh, would would like to try it i very much encourage it's a great game much easier to learn than tennis much easier to progress and a lot of fun and it's very good exercise anyway we'll continue now talking uh wait before i go to continue talking about um about pride we did not exhaust all the material that i prepared for the, for pride but it's now 238 i want you i want to give you an opportunity to call with your questions or uh, remarks if you would like this is if you wanted to call this is the right time please um, my number here is 888 um, what is it? Eight seven four four eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. Anybody is there? Anybody calling? No, no callers, no comments. Okay. Still, I will take your call if you want. If you want to uh, call, please. Uh, but let me then talk about uh, an essay that I read when I decided to talk about pride. I wrote, made my own notes that that I and I show shared with you my thoughts. But also, I read a very nice essay by John Amadeo in Psychology Today. Uh, and he makes um, a good point. He differentiates pride from dignity. Uh, you know, while you know, I when I talk about pride, and I will uh, at the end tell you about what tools I offer uh, to deal with with pride. Like remember, with every issue that I bring up, every. Uh, what is it called? Toxic condition, a toxic trait. Uh, when I, we discuss it, then I give you tools to deal with that trait. So, but uh, Mr. Dr. Amadeo speaks about developing uh, for, of how to call it, what's the word, fostering in yourself rather than pride, uh, dignity. Um, basically moving from misguided pride to life-affirming dignity. And it involves continually uh, bringing gentleness toward yourself, accepting and loving yourself. But as we are, not putting that facade up, not boasting our own importance. Um, but but simply accepting who we are. Mental and emotional health, writes uh, John Amadeus, require that we feel good about ourselves. But when self-affirmation morphs into a rigid sense of pride, we may damage our dignity and become distance, distant from each other. We may have different takes on the word pride. 
a healthy pride might arise from seeing our children doing well or making a contribution to the world. But pride can be a slippery slope toward arrogance, <laughs> yes. which is why Christianity viewed it as one of the seven deadly sins. Coaches may drive players to win at all costs, including cheating, in order to delight in the pride and glory of winning. Political leaders have often mobilized national or ethnic pride to invade other countries. Much of the misery, that's John Amadeo writes, much of the misery in the world stems from pride run wild. Brimming with pride around the, our religious and political ideology, we justify atrocities in the name of God, truth, and justice. Pride feeds our self-image. Dignity nourishes us. A common connotation of pride is clinging, clinging to a hafty, boastful self-view. We may take pride in the status of our bank account, our academic degrees, or how fit we are. And that's it's so true, you know, I go to the gym and I see all these guys, you know, pumping iron, which my sister, who is a, a yoga teacher and works a lot with people's pain, backpacks and, and injuries, says it's such a waste of energy. If you do yoga, you don't need to pump iron. You will be strong. You will be enduring. But no, this Poor guys are pumping iron, becoming strong. Not only guys, now women. All muscles, all how you look, you know, it, it, as if that will make you uh, loved or appreciated. That becomes your essence. Uh, our sense, now I'm talking, going back to Dr. Amadeo, our sense of identity becomes defined but what, but what we do, by what we do rather than who we are. Our perceived accomplishments and status feed a prideful self-image, but they don't really nourish us. It's very, uh, it's very interesting. Um, I just recently had a discussion with somebody who, who kind of didn't feel so accomplished compared to his brother. And again, you probably heard me say it, that the first murder in human history, according to uh, spiritual texts, was committed because of comparing, looking at uh, the other person next to you rather than looking at yourself. Uh, and that's Cain kills Abel because Cain's um, gifts are not taken, and rather than, and it's written, and God saw that Cain's face fell as as his gifts were not taken, and He said to Cain, "Why did your face fall? Sure, if you correct yourself, you will be forgiven." Which means that the the beef was between God and Cain, 
nobody else. And instead, Cain, rather than Cain and examining himself, looking to himself, looks at his brother and his brother's gifts are taken. And so he kills his brother. And so we we kill a part of ourselves rather than accepting who we are and where we are and then making decisions where we want to go with it. Of course, for to people who are open to utilizing the Bible as a guidebook, I have uh, perfect guidance through the story of the burning bush. Uh, it's for people who uh, judge themselves and feel that they need to be in some better place and another place than rather than where they are. And the the story is, you know, Moses is with his with the flock uh, of his father Ethro. He's going through the mountains, and suddenly he sees the bush that is burning but is not consumed. And then he hears the voice, uh, "Take your shoes off, for this place is holy." And of course, Moses understands something special is happening. He takes his shoes off. He approaches the bush, and through the, um, God is speaking through the bush to Moses and uh, tells Moses to go and free his people. And Moses is reluctant. And, and finally, of course, God is quite convincing. Finally, Moses agrees, but says, but listen, who will, who will trust me? I need, they will say, who sends you? What is your name, please? He's asking God. And God says, which means I will be that I will be. This is the key for me. Uh, very often, by the way, it's translated in, in English translation, it's translated I am that I am, which is incorrect translation, because there is no verb to be in present tense in Hebrew language. So it is literally I will be that I will be. And the reason God is saying that is because that's what God and universe is. It is a continuous process. It's not a static, stable, something stable. It's something that is constantly evolving. If you look on the microscope, you know, uh, we consist of atoms and the atoms consist of quantums, which are in constant motion. Basically, so when the God says, I am that which is uh, I, 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 uh, I, I will be that I will be is I, I am that which is in the process of becoming. I am a constant transformation and constant motion, constant movement. And being in image and likeness of God, we are also that which is in the process of becoming. So we don't need to put this uh, uh, facade, a mask of pride, uh, of being something that we are not. We are 100% appropriate um, being where we are. And then if we want to make changes, that's what we, we do. We chart the course, we make decisions, what we want to do, and we do it. And that's it. And we may discover that what we did did not bring the consequences we wanted. That's fine. That's not failure. That's succeeding that this is not the way to go. So you go, you give it another try and another try and another try. And our life is all about giving one try after another and sensing 
what feels right. We are born with this emotional, uh, emotional system, emotional signal system that tells us if we are on the right path. How, how does this emotional signal system works? Very simple. If you do what you do, and you're happy, you feel fulfilled, you're on the right path. If something is not, if you, you wake up and you don't want to go to work, you hate it. Or you wake up in, in the bed next to someone and it doesn't feel right, you're in the wrong place. How you feel will tell you whether or not you're on the right path. Uh, a lot in America is how much money a person makes and people give up um, jobs that they want to have, but it doesn't pay much and, and they want their parents to be proud of them. Because if you make a lot of money, that means you're important. By the way, there was a Princeton study that shows that making more than $75,000 a year, of course, depending on what state you reside, won't significantly improve your emotional well-being. I repeat, and, and you, you know, $75,000 a year, it's not such an enormous amount of money. There are uh, there's over a million people more, I think, in America who make, uh, who have more than a million dollars. And yet, it, it, my assumption is that if people make under $75,000 a year, they're really struggling. They, they have difficulties, you know, um, taking vacations, paying maybe their bills, maybe living in a decent housing and so on, and maybe eating food that they want. So therefore, the emotional well-being is, is strange, uh, is challenged. But if they make 75,000, and it's a recent study, by the way, so um, it means they can cover whatever their needs um, are. And comparing these people, $75,000 a year and $7 million a year, there was no difference, which means there is no more emotional health when you make so much, much more money. No. And, and honestly, I've seen these people. Uh, in fact, I, I used to uh, own an apartment on the Upper East Side and uh, like in uh, 91st and, and First Avenue, I think. And I would go to what would, was at that time, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, uh, was East Harlem, going up to 110th Street where there were Spanish markets with a lot of fresh vegetables and fruits. I loved going there. And I thought I would go from First Avenue uh, up up First Avenue from 90th Street to, to 110th. And I would pass by these uh, buildings with apartments. There, there were one bedroom apartments. I, in fact, I stopped and spoke to, to some people I remember once. There were these Latin America, families from Latin America. Eight, nine people are crowded in the same, in one apartment, one bedroom apartment. And yet, they're joyful, they, they're laughing, they're playful, they were happy. And so many people, and I was already a therapist, and I saw a lot of people who lived in Midtown and made a lot of money, and a lot of miserable people. 
So uh, your happiness depends more on your attitude uh, and in being happy with where you are. I think I defined once to you uh, what I think happiness is. Uh, uh, oh, no, no, that was success. Success is having what you want and being happy with what you have. That's success. And I think if you are successful like that, you're also, you're also happy. So uh, let me go to dignity. Dignity is an expression of who we are. It's about our social, not about our social status or our assets or achievements. Our dignity derives from doing our best to live as an authentic and ethical human being. Going back to I will be that I will be. It's what does it mean authentic? It's being yourself. It's allowing yourself to be not to to be to fit, not to be to prove, not to be uh, to become something that somebody expected you to, not to be to create this facade of success, but simply accepting that you are in the process of becoming, that you are appropriate, appropriate at any moment. This is this is a, a big lesson to learn. You are appropriate at any moment and you were appropriate 10 years ago even if you robbed you were a robber with with guns yes 10 years ago you were who you were you couldn't be anybody else you became to become who you are today you had to go through that experience if you were robbing people on the street it means the, the robber is, was inside of you that's who you were and you and now if you decided not to do it, that's fantastic. Pass no judgment. If you can pay the debts, if you stole something and you can pay back, that would be fantastic. If not, that's it, you move on. You don't you don't say I am proud of being a gangster and now I am this. No. You you not proud or not or, or not ashamed. You were who you were. You accept it. And now you do the best you can to be who you are today, to be a person that you can feel good about. But to feel then, how do you know how you will feel? And how do you know what is it to feel good about? For that, you need values. Remember last week I asked you, uh, you don't need to be religious to have values. First, you have to clear, have clear clear uh, idea of what your values are, what values you choose to live by, and then live by them. And that will make you feel good and comfortable and, and happy. But and last week, remember, I asked you, if you send me an email, I will send you the list of 54 values out of which you will choose some and, and see which ones uh, apply to you, which ones you want to uphold in your life. And some of you, by the way, uh, did send me emails and I send you uh, the, the values, but nobody sent me then 
the list of what they chose. Otherwise, I would speak about it. But again, if any of you now hear this and and I, you did not uh, uh, request the the values, please. Here is my email, Dr. Peter Resnick at gmail.com. Uh, send me an email, request it, and I will gladly send you the 54 values, and you will choose out of them 18, and then you can reduce it to 10 in, and write them in hierarchy of priorities. And that will be your guiding light. That's what you will practice in your life. And when you live by your values, you're in the right place. That's when your emotional signal system will tell you uh, you feel good. You feel good about yourself. Or you feel good where, about where you are. So, and sometimes we need to change our values. In fact, every couple of years, you need to sit down and look at your values and say, is it still true to me? And it's okay also to change your values. It's not necessary to always be the same. People say, oh, you changed. Of course I changed. I'm changing all the time. Anyway, it's time for me to round up, to to finish up with this show. Um, I th thank you for being with me today. I'm, so, I'm sorry nobody called. Uh, so hopefully you will um, prepare your questions for the next show, next Tuesday at 2 p.m. And for now, enjoy your week. Uh, I wish you health, uh, happiness, peace to all who want to live in peace.